Zephaniah 3.17, just so I was reminded of this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. One translation says rejoicing. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Lord, we just agree. We receive your love. We receive your peace. We cast all of our cares upon you. We receive your Father's love. Thank you that your cross has disarmed every power and principality and made a public spectacle of them. Thank you, God. Thank you for the triumph of the cross. Thank you that our old nature was crucified with you, buried with you, raised with you, and we're seated with you right now. We take our place in the finished work of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We just commit the rest of the evening to you. Thank you for your precious presence with us. Thank you for this family, this part of your body. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Man, you guys good? You guys all right? Um, it's good, I love this. This is new to territory for me. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand out the notes because um, if anything, they're just to take home. If you want, if you want them, you can take them and pass, take them home for you to read and study. And we'll just see what the Lord touches on tonight. Uh, but I think he's already touched on enough, right? Amen. Um, At the beginning of the year, at the beginning of January, I don't, often, I don't do this all the time, but I was just saying, Lord, is there any word or thought that you want us to hang on to throughout 2023? Is there any um, kind of thing that you want to keep coming back to for Janine and I and our family throughout this year? And as soon as I said that, the, the phrase, put me first, just popped into my heart. Put me first. And... The passage in one of the Gospels on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus invites Peter, James, and John, I think it's Peter, James, and John, three of them, up to the Mount of Transfiguration. They go up there, and if you know, if you remember the story, Jesus, the veil is pulled back, and Jesus is literally transfigured. He's transformed his physical appearance the, the scriptures say that his face became like the sun, his clothes became like lightning, and that this cloud of the Father's presence, the Holy Spirit, the cloud of God's glory just enveloped them, enveloped Jesus and, and Peter. Um, I don't know what in the world was going on, but he was just distracted and he felt like he had to do something. He was the presence of God. I don't know. So he started building these little tabernacles because on one side of Jesus was Elijah who represented the prophets. The other side was Moses. And Jesus in his transfigured state was talking with Elijah and Moses. And Jesus, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And Peter starts to build these little tabernacles and memorial to these to Jesus, to Moses and Elijah and the father just breaks in and the father unveils his heart and he said, this is my beloved son. This is, this is my one and only son who brings me great joy and pleasure. Listen to him. And so I've been going back to that. Put me first. This is my son. Listen to him. And what I, what I, what I, I don't know, what I'm feeling in my heart is that the Lord, God the Father, God the Spirit, has given us this unprecedented invitation to come up into the Godhead and to share in the affections that, the God, that God the Father has for the Son and to ask the Lord 
to begin to give us glimpses of how who Jesus really is. Jesus said in John 17, towards the end of that chapter, he says, he sums up his life ministry. He says, Father, I have made you known to them. I have, uh, I have declared your name. I've revealed what you're like, Father, to my followers. So that was the summary of his earthly ministry for three years. For three years, everywhere he went, everything he did and saw and taught and every miracle was a revelation of the Father's heart. And then he says, and I will continue to make you known. That's a summary of his heavenly ministry through the church, through the Holy Spirit, that Jesus through the church and through the Holy Spirit and through the word of God is going to continue to reveal the heart and the character of the Father. And then he says, so that the love you have, Father, for me will be in them. I mean, I don't know about you, but Jesus's goal in prayer is that we would love him not with any type of dedication and strength that we can muster up, but that we would actually share in the very uncreated joy and delight that the Father has for the Son. Not only would we receive the love of the Father and the love of the Son, but we would in turn share in the love of the uncreated God for the uncreated Son of God, and that we would be caught up into the fellowship of the Trinity, sharing in that love one for another. And Jesus, and that's the goal. That's the goal. And so um, tonight when I was thinking about this theme of growing in our dedication and Hosea 6, I think it's 6-6 six, six that um, I believe Jared had shared. Uh, it's such a beautiful Passage It says, for I desire, this is God's heart, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And we all want to grow in a deeper devotion and a deeper dedication to Jesus, right? We've tasted something and we want to grow in that. And when I was praying about what to share, just the phrase, the Lord just dropped this, this sentence. He says, John, you don't grow in a deeper devotion to me by trying harder, but by enjoying more. We don't grow in our dedication to Jesus by pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and trying to prove our dedication in our own strength. We grow in our dedication by catching glimpses through the Word and through the body of Christ and through the Holy Spirit of His worth and his nobility and his beauty and his glory and enjoying him more and having our hearts captured over and over and over and over again. And that's basically what these notes are all about. These are simple notes that are meant to encourage you in your journey of being fixated, fixed, dedicated, devoted, whatever you want to call it, fascinated, Captured, enthralled with the divine man, <laughs> fully God and fully man. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, fullness of God the Father, fullness of the uncreated Spirit of God, the fullness of the God had dwell in a man. And we have been brought, Paul says, God was pleased to have all the fullness of his personality, his character, and his wisdom, and his tender-hearted compassion, and his power, and his justice, and his mercy, and his hope, and his authority. All that makes God God dwells in fullness, overflowing, unending fullness in this Jewish man, who is both at the same time the root of Jesse and the branch of Jesse. He's the beginning and the end. And the Bible says, Paul says, and you have been brought to that fullness. (laughs) I don't even understand it, but I know behind every temptation that I've ever struggled with, every lie that I've tried to overcome, behind every lie, behind every temptation was that you don't have what it takes. You need something else to make your life full. And Paul undercuts all of that. And he says, no, you have everything that you need contained in your relationship with Jesus. Peter says that, I'll just read this in 2 Peter. This is so unbelievably beautiful. 2 Peter, it's not on your notes. This is uh, the notes probably just going to be. 
carry, carry out. The notes are carry out. They're just take home. So, uh, so uh, and if nothing else, the notes help me. If they don't help you, they really help me express things that I've been carrying in my heart. But let me just read this passage to you if I can find it in Second Peter. His divine power, let me start in verse 3, grace and peace be yours. So just receive, which we've been receiving, fresh, unlimited refills of God's unfair kindness. Unfair kindness and grace not only is his unmerited favor or his unfair kindness, grace is his power to accomplish what he's called you to accomplish. And it's best put on display in our weakness. Grace, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So just go ahead and receive his grace, his kindness, his smile, his favor, his delight, his enjoyment over you and receive his power in your weakness and and just receive that power in the midst of whatever's agitating you and worrying you and stressing you out. Just love him and receive his grace in the midst of that pressure that you may feel. Maybe it's not there anymore because his presence is so been so sweet. Grace and peace be yours in abundance, not a little bit, but in overflowing fullness through the knowledge. And you guys, if you've ever heard me speak, it's not mental cognition knowledge. It's not reading the menu. It's ordering the food and tasting the meal type of knowledge. It's experiential. It's dipping your hands and your feet into the ocean. It's tasting the dessert and and not just reading the ingredients. It's experiencing. So grace and peace are, are ours through our experiential, ongoing, progressive intimacy with Jesus and with God. And in verse three, I'm reading from second Peter verse one, his divine power has given you everything you need. I'll just put it in God's, I'll just say it as if Jesus were saying, my beloved bride, my divine power has given you absolutely everything you need for a godly life. Godly is a religious nice word, but that means God-like life. That means a life that looks like, under pressure, God. That walks through darkness and reacts to pressure or uncertainty like Jesus did. That God, the Holy Spirit and Jesus has given you everything you need to walk through this life successfully, look like, smell like, and reflect the inner life of Jesus. The nobility, the majesty, the peace, the hope, the authority, the wisdom. You have absolutely everything you need. Through our knowledge, there's that word knowledge again, experiential Ongoing, progressive, intimate, heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul, spirit-to-spirit, encountering and knowing of Him who has called us, who has called you and me. One, my translation says, by His own glory. Another translation says, to His glory. We don't have to choose. It's both and. God has called you. You guys, here's the goal. He's called you out of the overflow of his majesty, out of the overflow of his blinding beauty. He, out of the overflow that he's called you by that. You were in darkness. I was in darkness. We were in the enemy's, sold as slaves into the enemy's camp. And out of the overflow of God's beautiful goodness and kindness that is shown from the face of Jesus, out of that, he says, I want that one, Father. I want that one. I want that one. So he's called us by it, but he's also said, I don't want to just leave them. I want to call them to my glory. The end result of your life is better than you can think or imagine. The end of the story is beyond what we can think or imagine. Because when we see him, we will be like him. We're going to shoot Christ in you, the hope of glory. One time... I'm just, you guys okay? I mean, uh, one time I was really down about my life. I was working full time as a pastor and I was, 
I was in my 40s and I was just putting out squabbles and religious foolishness. It felt like all the time and I was exhausted. And I was so depressed. I thought, am I going to spend the rest of my life doing this? And my heart was aching for something, for what I was created for. And I went to see a friend of mine. Some of you guys have studied under him, Mark Berkler. Um, so who has done the Mark Berkler stuff, you guys? So anyway, I, me and a buddy went up to him, and he teaches us how to just hear from God. I just shared with what was going on. He said, let's just take a minute and pray. And we just got real practice. said, Jesus, how do you see, I just literally said, Jesus, how do you see my future? I just invited him in to the sadness, the hopelessness, the heaviness. And within a few seconds, um, there was this mental picture and there was this vast either ocean or this lake. And I'm like watching this scene from behind and the sun is coming up over this ocean and I'm sit, sitting there with like my knees up like this and Jesus is sitting there. We're watching the beauty of the sunrise and immediately this passage, I think it's in Proverbs or Psalms says, the path of the righteous is like the dawning of the sun. It keeps getting brighter and brighter and brighter until it reaches its noontime fullness. And immediately, immediately, uh, the heaviness, the hopelessness, the depression left. And the Lord was like, John, you have no idea your future is incredibly bright. Because your future is tied to my future. And, and I, it doesn't mean that that went away. I mean, it went away instantly. It doesn't mean that I have not had to go back and stand on that. Okay, but so he, so he has called you. He's called us. I just want you, if you're struggling with any kind of hopelessness or heaviness when you think about the future, just dialogue with him and ask him, Jesus, what do you say about my future? And the word of God says that your future, when we see him, we will appear with him. We will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye and that we will share in his uncreated glory. He said he's going to put the bride of Christ on display as the glory of God hits it. It's going to be like this diamond that puts on display this multifaceted, uncreated glory and beauty and wisdom of God that's going to be proclaimed to the powers and principalities of the heavenlies. You guys, that's your future. I mean, as long as you're here, whether it's 30, 40, 50, 60 more years, whatever, that's your future. 500 years from now, that's your future. You are, you are going to live forever and ever and ever. And it's incredible. The end of the story is beyond what we can think or imagine. Um, so he's called us by his own glory, to his own glory, and his goodness. Verse uh, four, through these, through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises. God loved us so much. He has written his promises down. And so that through them, through these promises, through the word of God, we may participate in the divine nature. (laughs) I don't know about you, but this, I used to just think, All I grew up in the Presbyterian church, which I absolutely loved, was receive Jesus as my Savior and basically live a good life. And when you die, you'll be with him in heaven. He was my, for lack of a better word, he was like kind of like my get out of hell card. And that's glorious. That is glorious. I don't want to go to hell, but Jesus went to hell for me. He was condemned in my place. But that's just the beginning receiving the free gift of forgiveness is just getting your passport stamped so that we can begin to explore all that he's called us to explore and to apply into our life. He's called us to become participants, stakeholders. I don't have much stock, I'm not a, but I have a little bit of tiny stock. That means that we have, we're shareholders and stockholders in the uncreated very nature, I don't understand it, the character, the personality the, the, of the uncreated God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, let that sink in. You guys, I don't know about you, but there's a lot more to this Christian life than I was ever taught. And through the Word of God, we can... In partnership with the Holy Spirit through grace, we can be
be escorted into his presence on an ongoing basis, even, even if we don't feel like nothing is happening. And as we encounter his kindness and his nature and his beauty, whatever you want to call his glory, we are transformed from one degree of that glory to the next degree, to the next degree, to the next degree. And that's how we grow in our dedication. That's how we mature as Christians. That's how we grow is by experiencing what we were created, what we hunger and thirst for the most. Um, Why don't you turn, if you have these notes, to page two. You can read, I'll start at number five. Well, I'll, I'm going to read number four because it, this is something that I'm, I'm digesting. Number four, you know, when God created mankind, let's just read Genesis 1, 26 through 27 from the message, the very first bullet point. Anybody want to read that first bullet point out loud? Anybody? Monica. God spoke, oh. Let us make human beings in our image. We'll get you. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish of the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's very nature. He created them male and female. You were created to bear forth and represent and put on display the image of God. No other creature in all of creation was created to do that. God created Adam out of the dust of the earth and he breathed in him the breath of life. And together with Adam and Eve, he said, let them bear, let them be physical representatives of the Godhead on the planet. And to bear their image, they, and so to be an image bearer, I don't have the language for this, but um, in order to bear the image, it means to reflect or put on display something that we're beholding. Does that make sense? We are called like a, the moon reflects or is an image, it reflects the sun. We are called to reflect and put on display an image forth or imitate what we're beholding. And God designed it, God's plan A, and it's always been his plan A, is that we would behold him in intimate communion. And as we behold him on a regular, ongoing basis, we would bear forth, we would imitate, we would be his image, his physical image of the invisible God on the planet to the rest of the creation. And so, uh, you guys still with me? Yes. Number two, the bullet, second bullet point, that's why we have an inescapable craving for beauty because God made us to be image bearers. As image bearers, we were designed to image forth, imitate or display that which we behold, what fascinates us and captures our attention. Just as the moon reflects the light of the sun, so God designed humanity to reflect his nobility and glory. It's part of our DNA. We can't escape it. The third, this is a quote from a book I'm reading, and Guy mentioned it this morning. We got together. The book's called Discipleship. Begins with beholding. Uh, the thirst for beauty is one of the things that makes humans unique. No other creature is attracted to beauty the way humans are, which indicates the longing for beauty is the result of being made in God's image. Our desire for beauty reflects His desire. The human heart craves beauty and seeks it out. We are born with, quote, greedy eyes that we long to look at things we find pleasurable and fascinating. I don't know about you, but that's true about me. When the Olympics are on, it's like, oh my gosh, watch these guys, you know? It's amazing. Or sitting on the front porch, ask, what do you find beautiful? Just watching the birds, watching parts of creation, holding a baby, you know, listening to a song, listening to... Uh, watching a movie that thrills our hearts, whatever it is, we, we are fascinated with beauty and we seek it out. And when we discover beauty, we long to imitate what we see. 
Therefore, this is a very powerful statement to me. The way we satisfy our appetite for beauty will determine what we become. Isn't that incredible? So, salvation happens as we behold a glimpse of Jesus. We're in spiritual darkness. So let me just read um, uh, this quote. This is from, oh, I didn't give the reference, but this is from... uh, This is from Corinthians. I don't have the passage there, but under number five, the God of this age. So let me back up. When Adam and Eve ate of the the fruit of the knowledge of the tree and good and evil, um, Satan used this, the the way their, their longing for beauty as image bearers. He, through that methodology, he appealed to them and tempted them to get their eyes off of God. And when they ate and they, they chose to be self-reliant, independent creatures apart from the life and beauty of God, now their eyes were open to choose good and evil for themselves. And we were born into a race of people that are enslaved to trying to figure out what is best for us and what is good and avoid the evil, but... Goodness is a life form. Does that make sense? Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good and it's God. And we are trying. We are born into a race of people that are trying to secure goodness for us. And we're trying to decide what's good and evil and avoid the evil and decide what's good and live apart from the goodness that we were designed to commune with and eat and digest. The other tree in the Garden of Eden was the tree of life. And as far as we know, Adam and Eve did not eat that from that. That's a picture of Christ. We're designed to feed on Christ as we just were doing through communion and receive his life in us and together in partnership bear forth that image as we behold this uncreated life and the beauty of God and to live by the life of another person, Jesus, and bear forth his image in the earth Does that make sense? Am I making any sense? We are called to not just know about Jesus, but to feed on the tree of life, which is Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. My body is real food. My blood is real drink. It's eternal. It's uncreated. Every other life form that was created was a limited, dependent life form. There was only one uncreated life form. It was the life of God, and the life of God was pulsating in the tree of life. Jesus comes on the earth, and it's, he's the, the tree of life shows up on the planet once again, and he offers himself fully to us by laying down his life, shedding his blood, forgiving our sins, and now opening up a way that we might become participants of the divine, eternal, uncreated life and to live joyfully dependent on that life. Does that make sense? And no longer being enslaved and trying to figure out this is good, this is evil, I'm going to avoid the evil and I'm going to just do good, I'm just going to do good. That's called religion. That's what religion teaches us to do. That's what we're born into. And anyway... We're called to be participants to, and we can't escape this longing to behold and be fascinated with beauty. And Jesus says, okay, that's what I've made you for. Now I want to teach you how to behold me. And, and salvation happens when the minds, when our minds are opened up and our hearts are opened up to behold glimpses of his, of his beauty. Um, The God of this age, I'm in number five, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory or beauty of Christ, who is the image of God. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's a reference back to Genesis, that same Genesis one God made his light to shine in your heart and in my heart to give us the light of the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of God's glory, his beauty, his wonder, his worth displayed in the face of Christ. If that's not a description of salvation, I don't know what is. Salvation is more than getting our sins forgiven. Salvation is God saying, light, shine in the dark mind and heart 
of John Weissman. And as my light, let my light shine forth. And as the eyes of his heart are open, let's deposit into that a glimpse, a beholding of a superior beauty, of an infinite glory, of a surpassing, unlimited majesty, my majesty as it's reflected in my son's face. And the word face is just mean it's his personality. That's one of the most beautiful descriptions of salvation. You guys, that's how people were saved. That's how the apostle Paul was saved. Isn't it interesting that Paul knew all the rules? Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He kept all the rules, and yet in keeping the rules, he ended up being a persecutor of Jesus and the church. And when he encounters this light of the knowledge of the glory of God that was shining from the face of Jesus, do you remember what he said? Who are you? You can keep all the rules. You can go to church. You can read your Bible. You can be a person of integrity and moral, more good morality and have a good marriage. But your heart can still be darkened to the glory and the beauty of God in the person of Jesus Christ. It's only by the kindness and mercy of God that says, let light shine in our hearts. And so that's what salvation is. Salvation is more than having our sins forgiven. It's the opening up of our spiritual eyes back to being an image bearer that we are feeding on, ingesting. Uh, C.S. Lewis says that, uh, I won't go there because I'm going to mess up the quote, but he he says that when, he says, I'm going to mess it up, Luke. He says, he says that um, the things that we find beautiful, the poetry, whatever you find beautiful, uh, memories, nostalgia, creation, a song, a, a story, whatever the things uh, that you find beautiful. He said, beauty itself is not contained in those things, but those things, what's coming through them is the scent of a flower that belongs to a country that we've never been to yet. It's the, it's the fragrance of a country. It's the call of another country that really is our home that we don't know anything about. And what's coming through those things that we think are beautiful and we want to attach ourselves to, whether it's a person or a thing or an accomplishment or a created thing. Romans says that they exchange the glory of God for created things. That's what we're born into. And he says what's coming through them is longing. Beauty was meant to stir longing in our hearts. And Satan comes and whispers despair and hopelessness and that longing is meant to carry us through the object that we're beholding as beauty it's meant to bring us to the glory of the God that's being shown through the face of Jesus Christ that's what beauty is meant to but Lewis says that if we attach our hearts to the object through which the beauty is coming through they become dumb idols and we become enslaved to those things that are idols so Jesus has come to open up our hearts to display to us and free us from our bondage to idolatry, to created things, and to bring us back into alignment. The, um, when John the Baptist was born and his father Zechariah couldn't speak for nine months and his mouth was opened up, he began to prophesy and he described the coming Messiah as, the, as a day spring. You know what a day spring is? It's a poetic word for the, the dawn of heaven. Heaven's dawn, heaven's sunrise has, has landed on the planet. And he's coming to open up eyes that are in spiritual darkness and people that are walking through the shadow of death and bring them into the path of peace. All while, while the light of God's kindness and his mercy is opening our eyes to see a superior treasure in his son. The Bible, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven, you guys know this, is like a man who's walking along and discovers this infinite superior treasure hidden in the field. And in his joy, not his, in his fascination, in his exaltation, in his thrilling enjoyment of the value of that treasure, he liquidates everything to buy that treasure. Not out of teeth gritting discipline. Not He lays everything down. It's a picture of discipleship. Laying everything down for the joy of obtaining that infinite superior worth of that treasure. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. So salvation happens initially to us. Um, 
when God opens up our eyes to perceive a superior worth and enjoyment in the sun and our hearts are awakened and we're on this honeymoon, we're like, oh my gosh, Jesus is so good, you know? That's why new believers are so infectious and they're so fun to be around. But, you know, we don't stay in that place, right? And we're called to do life and raise families and work jobs and we, in the same way that we're born again, the same process of beholding God has sovereignly said it's the same process for you to be transformed and sanctified and become fully mature followers of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing. Salvation happens through beholding inner transformation, sanctification, becoming a disciple, whatever you want to call it, deeper devotion, steadfast love. It all comes through beholding. And it's it, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, the first bullet you guys still with me? I'm kind of, if Janine was here, she would say, slow down, John. <laughs> slow down. I'm just excited. But we all, with unveiled face, that means that the veil, the barrier has been removed. With We have access, intimate access, face to face. You know, the, um, I think it's the New Zealanders. They have this tradition that's kind of disturbing to Westerners, but they... I, I, it's H-O-N-G-I Hongi or has anyone does anyone know that how to pronounce New Zealand language H-O-N-G you can look it up and when they greet you they greet you they press their head to your forehead and they get in your space and they wrap your arm like this and it's like this face to face and they stay there for a, a couple a minute or two and tradition is that they try to find out who their common ancestors are. And it's like two people living in one space. And that to me is a picture that the veil has been removed from our face. Imagine when God breathed into Adam, when Adam's eyes first woke up what he was staring at. God staring right at him. Looking right into Adam. I mean, that, you guys, that's what we're called to. We're, it's unveiled. We have no barrier. We have access to our Heavenly Father, to our Creator, to the lover of our souls, the, our Savior, our Bridegroom, our King, our Savior, our older brother, all of that. Everything that our hearts are longing for, the veil has been removed through Jesus. As an un, through an unveiled face, we are now beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, the beauty, the uncreated beauty and worth and glory of God the Father, Jesus the Son, through the Holy Spirit, by faith through grace. And as we're doing that, we are being transformed. As we're looking at God, looking back at us, and we're looking at Him, and this, and we're, and we're just drinking in His beauty and His glory and His goodness, we're being transformed. It goes back to being an image bearer. We're becoming what we're beholding, we're being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, from one degree to another, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So it's all done by the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not going to read this quote, but um, there's a cool little book called One Thing Developing a Passion for the Beauty of God by Sam Storms. And he his premise is that when we encounter real beauty, beauty dislodges our lesser allegiances. Does that make sense? Yeah. Beauty begins to disrupt and challenge those lesser lovers that we're attaching our hearts longing for beauty to. Begins to challenge those things and challenges our allegiance for it. So there's something more beautiful. There's something more valuable. So when we encounter, that's the purpose of beauty. When we encounter, especially the divine beauty revealed to us through the face of Christ. And, I, and this is, this is if you've ever heard me speak, this is one of Brad's favorite things I ever speak about. But the phrase, beholding in a, as in a mirror, is really, really encouraging to me, very, for real, it's very encouraging to me. The third point under number six is that mirrors in ancient biblical times were not made from glass like they are today. They were made from polished bronze or copper. In fact, you could Google, don't take my word for it, Google ancient mirrors in Corinth. And you're going to come up, the archaeological digs have literally showed pictures of bronze or copper pieces of metal that have been polished and decorated, and that's what they used for mirrors. And so the point is this, that Paul says, if you pair that image of a, 
of a metal mirror with 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, For now we see in the mirror dimly or darkly, but then when we see him, we'll see him face to face. So here's the point, is that the mirrors, rather than give a bright, precise reflection, they produce a dim or a murky or hazy reflection. The last point is this, under this. And again, we're talking about how we're transformed, how we grow in Christ-like character. We often get discouraged in our personal times of devotion because they feel dry and we are easily distracted. But be encouraged. Small, faint, and dim beholdings will, in God's timing and His grace, transform and sanctify you and me. God is at work. I love when you laugh, Brad. Little by little, don't quit. Bottom line, I can sign up for dim, faint, uninspired devotional times with the Lord. When I'm falling asleep, when my mind has wandered. See, we think that our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and all we feel is our distraction and our weak, wandering hearts. And God looks down on it and he says, with one glance of your eye, you have ravished my heart. With one sincere movement of your heart towards mine, you can't see me. But in faith and humility, you're seeking my face. You're getting into my word. You're turning my word into conversation with me. And whether you realize it or not, you stick with it. And in my time and in my sovereign will and sovereign purpose that you may not understand, in due time, you will be transformed little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. Any C.S. Lewis, Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia fans here? Do you remember the name in the voyage of the Dawn Treader, the name of that star, the guy, the star? Remember his little trivia question? He was a, a star, a retired star. He was a star that was very old and he was retired and sent to this island. His name was Ramondu. Every morning, do you remember what happened? What, what, what ritual he, partic- he, he participated in? Do you remember, Abby? He was, a, he was a star one time that was, you know, a brilliant star, but he, he was retired. He was on this island every morning. It's kind of cheesy, but it's still a beautiful picture. Every morning, these birds would fly across the sky, and they would bring him these little tiny fireberries from the island of the sun or something like that. And he would just, he would just, he, they would feed him one little berry, and, and he said... Every time they feed me one of these little berries, my age is taken away a little bit by a little bit. So his age was going in reverse until one day he says that I will be like a brand new star and I will be in the heavens again. So that's a beautiful picture that it might not feel like anything is happening, but as we are beholding him with dim, uninspired, dry, falling asleep times where there's a sincerity of our hearts, God is at work be transforming us. I want to read one other quote that, that I love uh, on the next page, and then we'll wind it down, and you can read the rest at home. So I just want to encourage you, especially, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like the enemy is at work over time discouraging the body of Christ. That God has forgotten about you. God doesn't know what you're going through. Um, you're left to your own resources to figure it out. And he's discouraging. He's causing us to be weak and wanting to throw in the towel, especially, and get distracted in our times of, of beholding Jesus, reading the Bible, prayer, gathering together as a body of Christ. Zechariah 4.10, do not despise these small beginnings. God loves small beginnings. He absolutely loves it. Don't be, uh, Galatians 6, 7 through 9, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. See, there's a deception. I'm going to sow to sinful things. I'm not going to reap it, but in due time you will reap it. But there's also deception. I'm sowing towards righteousness, but I'm not reaping anything. Don't be deceived that way either. Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You guys, eternal life is not just living endlessly with Jesus. Eternal life. Jesus said this is eternal life. That they may know experientially the one true God and Jesus Christ whom whom you sent. As we sow to the Spirit, as we spend time with Him, we are reaping. God is excavating 
underneath the soil of our souls and He's expanding our capacity to experience more and more of His goodness and His beauty and His kindness, even though we may not feel like anything's going on. Amen? Don't be deceived. Um, You're going to reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Galatians 6, 7-9. Last quote. Any Lord of the Ring fans? Okay, so there's one of my favorite excerpts is in the Return of the King. Let me just set the scene. Um, Sam and Frodo have gotten into Mordor. They've come through all kinds of loss and trauma and heartache and, and, and everything imaginable. They should have thrown in the towel a long time ago, but they're in the land of Mordor and they're looking out. They can see Mount Doom and yet there's this vast plain in front of them and they are overwhelmed. They're tired. They're overwhelmed. They still got a long ways to go, even though they can see the end of the journey. How many of you have felt like that recently? Exhausted, tired. (laughs) Let me just read this quote. I love this quote. There, this is from the Return of the King. There, peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor, and the tor just means peak, high up in the mountains. Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart. As he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Now, for a moment, his own fate and even his master's ceased to trouble him. He crawled back into the brambles and, putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. Just as the star's beauty encouraged and renewed Sam, we too are strengthened in our journey through little glimpses of Jesus' beauty. God designed us this way. When heaven reveals God's beauty to our hearts, we experience healing, renewal, strength, and perseverance. Beauty also releases a deep, settled peace and rest that frees us from fear and worry. God designed us and is not holding out on us. Um, The last point that's in there is that one day our glorification is going to be through beholding him as well. We're saved by beholding. We're transformed a little bit by little bit by beholding. And we are ultimately going to be physically transformed when we see him. God designed you with an inescapable hunger and ache and longing for his glory and his beauty as displayed through Christ. Don't settle for anything else. Learn how to steward and bring those aches and longings to Jesus through the word of God. There's all kinds of ways that we can behold and then I unpack a little bit of them. But that's the gist of what I want to share. I just want to come and share. Don't quit. Don't give up. Press in. God has not forsaken us. Jesus prayed. This is the last, last scripture. Okay. John 17. If this is Jesus' prayer, this is right, right before he went to the cross. If he was going to the cross and he was laying his life down, this is part of what he wanted. John 17, verse 20. Four. Thank you. Imagine Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know if he was in the upper room or Garden of Gethsemane. I think he was, uh, but he was on his way to the cross. Father. This is God the Son talking to God the Father. And we know that whatever Jesus asks, it's always in perfect alignment with what's in God's heart. And he's going to end. The father's going to answer. Father, my paraphrase, if I'm going to lay my life down on behalf of my bride and my people, here's what I want. I don't need anything. I'm uncreated God. I don't need anything. But this is what I long for. This is what I desire. This is what I ache and long for. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Here's the good news. 
that doesn't have that is not reserved for when we die and we see him face to face because Paul says that we have been crucified with Christ buried with Christ raised and seated with Christ I don't understand it but somehow we have been united through the indwelling Holy Spirit we've been united Christ in us we're in Christ together we're in the Father we're seated with him Paul says or Hebrews says fix your eyes on Christ the author and perfecter of our faith um, we have been called up to sit with Christ right now I don't understand how it works but it's by faith. It's like a little child. Father, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that my old nature was crucified with you, buried with you. I am raised with you. And right now, I thank you. Even if all hell is breaking loose, I am seated with Christ. I'm united with Christ, with him above all chaos, above all confusion, above all powers and principalities to not only rule and reign with him, but to gaze upon the uncreated beauty that God the Father put upon him before the creation of the world. If Jesus prayed that, I want to come into agreement by faith in that prayer. Amen? You guys, you have been given a passport through the blood of Jesus to explore and discover the endless glory and beauty and wonder of God through Jesus Christ by grace, through the Holy Spirit, through His, again, it's through His precious promises that we can become participants in the divine nature. And the, His promises are loaded. He's just saying, come on. I felt like tonight the Lord said, I wanted to renew some passports. I wanted to dust off. You guys have gotten tired. I've gotten tired. And we've lost our fascination with this one that is calling us, come on, come on. There's more for you. Uh, the end of... Um, the last battle. For, what, what do they say? Further in? Further up. Further, 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 further up? Further in? Is that it? I mean, the mo- just, what's that? Onward and upward. Onward, upward, further in. That's, I, th- I don't think that's, that was probably Teddy Roosevelt who said that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Questions, comments, prayer. Brad, you want to pray us out? What, what's going on with you? Good what's that? We'll have a testimony. Okay. Any, any questions? Any questions? Comments? Thank you, John. Yeah, man. Come on, guys. Uh, Melissa's got a testimony to share, and then we're going to just finish this with some prayer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I thank you, John. Um. In his sharing, I just, God is just laying on my heart to share um, a testimony of what he's been doing. And I'll try to make it quick because I know it's very late right now. Um, But I have been a believer. I have been a Christian since I was a junior in college. And for all this time until I would say really this past September... I've not really understood the full power of the, of Christ in me. I've not understood it. I have not lived it. I have not um, experienced it. Um, and starting this last September, um, God, well, I've been on a healing journey with Jesus, and it's been incredible. And I cannot, I don't have time to tell you all that he has been doing in my life or in the lives of my relationships, but... Um, I'll just give you one example. Um, recently, uh, I, well, for 20 years now, I have had a huge phobia of flying. Um, never stopped me from flying because, well, I used Xanax to fly is how I flew. But I was determined I was not going to stop flying because I had family living all over. And um, I was going to go and visit them. So that wasn't gonna stop, I wasn't going to stop. But for 20 years, I could not step foot on a plane without Xanax. Um, And if that wasn't enough, I'd have a glass of wine on the plane. Anything to um, numb my fear. And um, so so this last, we were going to Florida, my husband and I, in April. And I was getting ready, doing my um, to-do list to to write down all the things I needed to do to prepare to go. And... um, and one of the things I thought of was, oh, I've got to call the doctor to get my Xanax because I only would get enough to get me 
through the flights I had coming up. You know, they don't want to give you too much because they don't want you getting addicted to it. So, um, so it was time to call the doctor. And as I was about to write that down, I heard clearer than day. Now, I need to tell you that for months I had been trying to hear God's voice. And I never really felt, I've felt his nudgings. I felt that he was nudging me many times in my life. But I never felt I heard his voice clearly. And I heard clearer than day. What if you trust me with this? And I, um, I was like, okay, God, I guess I have to trust you. You've asked me to. Um, so I did not, I did not order Xanax, and I called some very close friends to pray for me for this trip. And I went with my husband, and the enemy threw everything he could at me with the flights. Um, you know, uh, delays, delays, missing connections, rescheduling, um, you name it. And when we finally got on our plane that night, I just have to share this really funny thing because for years, I mean, if I flew by myself, I just, I would pray and I had my Xanax and I had, but if I flew with my husband, I would always grab it and take off sort of the hardest for me. And so I would grab his hand and I would squeeze it so tightly until we were at cruising altitude. And then I was, okay, I could let go of his hand. So as we're sitting there, he reaches over for my hand. Now my husband's a navy was a navy aviator, naval aviator. So he has no fear of flying, none. But he reaches over for my hand because he thinks, I mean, that's just habit. I've always done that. And and I looked at him and I was like, Are you okay? I'm like, Are you anxious? Do you need to hold my hand? I'm like. Because I don't need your hand. <laughs> so, and God has just gave me such peace. Throughout the, those flights, my, I flew home alone. I had peace throughout it. Missed my connection. Didn't matter. He gave me gratitude. And now I have that Ebenezer. I have rocks, piles of rocks. Come on. I just flew to, to New Hampshire and back. And I'm flying this week to Georgia with my kids. And I'm flying in, in July. And God is just so good. I, I have... I have a testimony now, so there's a lot more, but come on, thank you so much. Would you stand up? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna are gonna pray. I was listening to John. John said has so many uh, powerful things. We're so grateful to God for His Word. Grateful for the insights that John has uh, stewarded. A couple things stood out at the very end. God said. Through John, that he wants to renew past lives. I want us just to take a minute and just pray. There's some of you that you have felt in times past more of a alertness in your spirit. And I want you to just, let's just lay our hands on our hearts. Let's just ask God anything in me that's gotten stale, any place where my love has grown lukewarm. Any place where I'm tempted, I invite you to come and be new. Take me back to my first love. Take me back. Take me back to where even though the glimpses seem dull, I have the fragrance and I'm not going to relent. take 30 seconds you just begin to speak out in your own words begin to form on your on your lips invite
walked into the temple shortly after he turned water into wine and he found something happening in the temple that crushed his heart. He found it had been turned into something different than it was intended for as he turned into a marketplace. And it says he prepared a whip and he drove out all the livestock. The disciples saw it and they said, they remembered the scripture. The zeal for your house is consumed. Then a few years later, after triumphal entry, he goes back in that temple and he drives out again. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But he also prophesied that that very temple would be destroyed in one generation. So the zeal, he had zeal for that space. But Peter and Paul saw a house in the spirit, a house of living stones, a house that was being fit together as a dwelling place of God. It was a house made up of his people. It was a house that he wants to fill with his spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that he would become the very dwelling place of God. And as John was finishing tonight, can we just pray, God, just stir up my first love in the fire on the altar of my heart. Never go out. Make me a house of prayer. Make me a house of prayer. This word, even like beginning to wrestle with this proskatoreo, this place of continuing. We ask in the name of Jesus, God, that we would begin to pray prayers continuously. We begin to pray prayers. God, help me to seek your face. Help me to your first love. Help me. Let's just finish. Let's just pray that the fire on the altar never go out. We just...
God, we just pray tonight. We want, God, we want to recognize the real food and the real drink that you are offering. We do not come for samples. We do not come just to have a taste every once in a while. God, we thank you that you have called us to feast in you. That you have prepared a table before us in the presence of the enemy, God. Thank you, God, in the midst, in the midst of the war, in the midst of the battle, as David prayed in Psalm 27, in the midst of when the foe is rising against me, we can desire one thing. God, forgive us for thinking that we can behold you whenever everything else is in place and deliver us where we are beholding you in the midst of the valley of the shadow. God, we just ask you to prepare our hearts. Thank you for everything you've spoken tonight. And God, I pray that for every individual, God, for the people who are here and left, God, for those who are still here, God, for people who will come tomorrow. God, I thank you that you are able to do something in us individually. And God, we ask that you would work something into us as a part of your people. Would you work your kingdom into us as a people? Prepare our hearts, God. I pray that you be with Jared as he shares tomorrow with Michael and Hannah as they lead us in worship in the morning. God, get our eyes ready. Get our eyes ready. God, I just, I just had this picture tonight of just getting the sleepers out. God, any place that has been asleep, any place where there's where eyes are not seen clearly, God, we just pray in Jesus' name. But in this time that we set apart to meet with you, that you would come and set apart. Set apart just a newness in our relationship. We welcome you. We welcome the wind of your spirit. We welcome the royal rule and reign of the king. We bless, God, to speak blessings over you. We thank you, God, that in the light of the king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud of light rain. Thank you that in Jesus you have blessed us, and you keep us, and that you lift up your countenance upon us. Thank you that you have given us your peace. So we go in your peace tonight, God. I pray that our our souls would be a rest and our spirits would grow more hungry in Jesus' name. I pray that our souls would be satisfied as a weed child, but our spirits would hunger and thirst and hunger and thirst for 